You're listening to Halford and Bruff. Pittsburgh is stuck in quicksand. To the goal. Passes right side. What a save by Deco and Eller. Rebound, they score. Eric Carlson wins it for the Penguins. We're not going to be playing as many games loaded right now. Maybe it's severe talking, Mark, but you got a butt that won't quit. We're up 2-0 at home. You know, that should be lockdown point. It's a complete crap. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. It is Halford, it is Bruff, it is Sportsnet 650. We are coming to you live from the Kintech Studios in beautiful Fairview Slopes in Vancouver. Jason, good morning. Good morning. Adog, good morning to you. Good morning. Laddie, good morning to you as well. Hello, hello. Halford and Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate dealer today. We are in Hour 1 of the program. Hour 1 is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. We are coming to you live from the Kintech studio. Kintech Canada's favorite orthotics provider, powered by thousands of five-star Google reviews. Sorry, what are you waiting for? Kintech. Big show on a Wednesday. Got a lot to get into. Canucks game last night. Guest list begins at 6.30. Uh, Jeff Merrick is going to join us, host of The Jeff Merrick Show. And the 32 Thoughts podcast, he's on at 6.30. At 7.30, Mike McIntyre is going to join us from the Winnipeg Free Press. Free Press. Uh, Gary Bettman went to Winnipeg yesterday. It was just a regularly scheduled visit for Gary Bettman. I didn't say that properly. It was just a regularly... Five dollars? Five dollars. I'm like, Homer. Regularly <laughs> scheduled loaded? visit. Do you need to do some warm-ups or something? It was just a regularly scheduled visit the for Gary Bettman. The human torch was denied a bank loan. <laughs> Nothing to see here, Gary Bettman said. Everything is fine. I don't even understand why I'm here. Uh, we'll talk to Mike McIntyre about that at 7.30. 8 o'clock, Brett Festerling, Canucks color man on the Sportsnet 650 radio call for the Canucks. We'll talk to him about the 4-3 overtime loss for the Canucks last night. To the Pittsburgh Penguins, we are also giving away a $100 gift card to Primetime Bridge Brewing for the best what we learned. We already have some submissions. Continue to get them in. Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. Hashtag it WWL. Let's go with a beer emoji today. You know what it looks like. It's a beer emoji. You could win a $100 gift card to Primetime slash Bridge Brewing for the best what we learned. Working in reverse on the guest list. 8 o'clock, it's Brett Festerling. 7.30, it's Mike McIntyre. 6.30, it's Jeff Merrick. I have to enunciate. Enunciate. Yeah. yeah. It's a tough one. Uh, That's what's happening on the program today. Laddie, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. No. What happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? What happened? What Happened is brought to you by the BC Construction Safety Alliance. Making safety simpler by giving construction companies the best in tools, resources, and safety training. Visit them online at bccsa.ca. Sidney Crosby had a pair of assists last night. He now has 1,000 career even strength points. Eric Carlson scored in OT. And the Pittsburgh Penguins got a much-needed 4-3 overtime victory over the Vancouver Canucks at Rogers Arena. So, you were there. Uh, yeah, I was there. Uh, so I, I I wasn't able to do uh, proper uh, my usual, like, very, you know, uh, 
painstaking prep for the show because I got home and I went, I'm tired. I'm going to bed. Hopefully Halford can handle this. Uh, thanks to my buddy Mark for hooking me up with the best tickets that I've ever had. We were in the black seats. I was I didn't right. I know there were black seats. Yeah, they're black seats now. I was right behind the Canucks bench, so I got a good look of. I was actually sitting right behind Ferraro, and I texted Ferraro. I was like, "Hi." And then I could see him replying to me, but he wouldn't turn around. He just wouldn't. He wouldn't turn around. He, he acknowledged you. He, he didn't want to look. Did you take a picture of yes. the back of his side? Yeah. Next to him? yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. I think he was mad because I took a picture of like the backside of his hair. <laughs> I saw a lot of like follically challenged men right in front of me with the Canucks bench, and then Ferrara was kind of there too. And anyway, I mean, it's not it's not important to make fun of those guys, even though Halford and I have you know excellent hair. Right. So I the would game. Say. The game. <laughs> right, so the hockey game. <laughs> uh, got off to a pretty good start. Nils Hoaglander, uh, buzzing, made it one nothing for the Vancouver Canucks. Uh, Brock Besser uh, on a like these weird power play units. Uh, JT Miller fed him a nice pass, and we we're all like, oh, maybe these weird power play units are going to work. I was hoping that JT Miller would go by the bench when they were celebrating and kind of wink at Petey mm-hmm. and be like, hey, you weren't out on that one, were you? That was, was the just, first unit power play that yeah, did that. That was, that was the first unit power play. Uh, and JT Miller was inc- just absolutely incredible on the night. Watching him battle Sidney Crosby was something, honestly, to behold. And I don't know who was better. Probably JT Miller in my mind, but Sid was just as good. Yep. Um, just a brutal giveaway uh, to start the second. Uh, by Teddy Bluger. I've watched the replay 30 times maybe. I still don't know what Teddy Bluger was trying to do. And I know it was a tough situation. Sam Lafferty put it back to him. But then he just kind of like backhanded it into the middle of the ice. It was bad. I'm like, what? you're usually a pretty smart guy. Who did you think was there besides a bunch of Pittsburgh Penguins? Um, and that was, you know, that wasn't a backbreaker goal. But it brought the Penguins back into the game. You, you could have easily seen the Canucks, you know, take over from there, but that was early in the second, two minutes into the second, Bluger with a brutal giveaway, uh, and it's two to one. Um, then came the penalties, and we've seen the Canucks get into these penalty issues in the last little while. Um, Zadorov takes a penalty, and then three seconds later, Tyler Myers takes a irresponsible high stick. He he was trying to convince the officials that it was... um, He was like, waist high for me. I'm like, yeah, but that's still high sticking. He was trying to say that Raquel's stick hit Raquel. He was trying to say that he just lifted the stick. But then they showed the replay whilst uh, Tyler Myers was complaining, and everyone was like, yeah, that argument's not going to hold weight, not going to hold water. It was a penalty. 100 times out of 100. I heard some people on the post-game show complaining about the officiating. I'm like... There's nothing to complain about. Referees are bad inherently, but last night wasn't yeah, yeah. it. Well, I, I mean, listen, that penalty that Petey drew when he just kind of fell, I thought it was pretty soft. I was lucky for the Canucks to get at any rate. Um, now, the good news about those two penalties is it gave JT Miller an opportunity to score one of the goals of the year, shorthanded. Uh, the Penguins had just tied it, and he outmuscles, outworks Chris Letang, might have high sticked the puck down to himself. Oh, craftied Chris Letang. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Letang like was certainly making that case to the referee. Goes in on a breakaway, and it was three two. And for the Penguins 
think about the scenario you are if you're the Penguins there. Everyone's hammering your power play. Your power play is the reason why you're not in a playoff position. They just scored on the power play. Granted, it was a five-on-three, so you're expected to score. And it was a lengthy five-on-three. You're expected to score. Yep. And then, so you're like, okay, maybe the power play's back. And then you give up a shorthanded goal to JT Miller like 30 seconds later. Um, The building was buzzing at that point. There was like a JT Miller chant that went out. Uh, I'm not sure if it was then or, or later. It was when, in the third period. Yeah, when Miller was once again out there doing incredible PK work. I'm just, he was he was he was unbelievable. He's the best player on the ice. He last was night, I unbelievable think. last night. Yeah, and and Sid was the second best, or it it was reversed. It was mm-hmm. just a an, a crazy performance by JT Miller and the Canucks. Unfortunately, wasted it because in the third period. The Pedersen line had a rough shift in their own end. And, um, you know, I think that started with Juleson blocking a shot, and he was he was clearly hurting. And then the PD line got caught out there for a while, um, but they really weren't moving their feet. Like on, on, the, on the goal that Lars Eller scored, if you watch Pedersen, I, I think he was trying to cover in some ways for Juleson because Juleson was – struggling around out there but you know if you look at his positional play on the on the goal and I, listen I'm not trying to turn this into a pick on Petey because we're going to pick on Elias Lindholm who did nothing all night um and Lars Eller like the the Penguins are buzzing the Canucks were kind of like low energy standing around although I'll, I'm, I'm not going to blame Juleson who was clearly hurting on the play Lars Eller ties it and then for the rest of the third period, both teams kind of like stared at each other and they were like, mm-hmm. a point for each of us and then we'll go to overtime. <laughs> I think Drance called it like a gentleman's agreement. They had a handshake. Like, yeah, they were like, mm, point each. Doesn't really matter from the standings. We're both in different conferences. And then you go to overtime. Um, both teams had chances, uh, but Eric Carlson was able to win the game after just a – I mean, a brutal, unlucky shift by Connor Garland where, first of all, he gets the puck on his stick and doesn't know what to do with it. Mm -hmm. And the Penguins go, how about I take that from you? And they take it from you. And then Garland, in his recovery, he fell down. He fell down. He fell down. It was tough, but he fell. Thatcher Demko made an incredible save, but there was a rebound. And I don't know if Garland was still falling down like, no he was I trying know, to get I'm back just joking no you might uh, have been right but he was i watched he, he, he came back and then when the goal went in he smashed his stick there, over there, the net there, there was actually a rear double smashing because garland smashed his stick and i don't think he broke it like on the goal and then jt miller was like let me show you how it's done yep from a professional yeah, see so you, you got to hold it at the yeah, certain yeah. angle just watch mm-hmm. what i do and then he snapped his stick uh, over the crossbar. And, so much for that and, composure, eh, boys? And, well, no, it was after the game, so it was he. he played, still played whistle to whistle, but uh, he was he was pretty angry, and I don't blame him because he played a whale of a game, and then in overtime, they lose. Um, you know, th- the positives from that was it was an entertaining game. Once again, the Canucks lost. Like they were, they've been having trouble with these desperate teams, right? Mm-hmm. If you think about Minnesota. A 10-7 wild game. Minnesota's desperate. Yep. Outside, looking in. They needed the game. They lost the game. Seattle was kind of a similar situation. 
They go into Seattle. Seattle's desperate for a playoff spot. Canucks don't match their energy. They lose the game. They come back and they play Boston, who I'm pretty confident is going to make the playoffs. They beat the Boston Bruins. And in an odd way, what the Canucks did against the Boston Bruins in keeping their composure, um, realizing, okay, we're down a few goals, but we got to keep trying, you know? Like, we got yep. we got, we to stay in the game. The Penguins did that to the Canucks because the Penguins had just flown across the country after that wild 7-6 win over the Flyers. They'd just flown across the country to play a team that, you know, should in theory have been rested because they'd had a couple days off. They had a practice, mm-hmm. and then they had a full day off, and then they played the game. And also the Penguins are old. Very old. A lot of Oldest team in the NHL. A lot of old players, and they hung in there. And at the end of the game, I think they outworked the Canucks overall. They were first to pucks for the most part, except if you were JT Miller. And they probably, even though it was a very even game overall, they probably deserved to win. Uh, I had several people in uh, Penguins Twitter, which does exist and is a real thing, calling that their biggest win of the season. And if you look at it, it's hard to argue. They're absolutely desperate for points, and they just went on the road into the barn of the best team in the National Hockey League standing-wise and rallied twice from deficits, 2 nothing and 3-2, to get two points in an overtime victory. That's a huge win for Pittsburgh. Um, and they, you can see last night that they're a flawed team. You can see that they've got parts of their team that just don't work. Uh, they look really slow. Malkin looked really slow and laborious at times, but they have enough individual talent and when they get one or two guys, like I thought Lars Eller had a really good game for them last night. When they're going... Lars Eller was really, it was the first star of the game. I, I know. Think. And Lars yeah. Eller, if you look at his season, he's mm-hmm. kind of been butt. He hasn't done anything. Like, no, sorry. Been... Ricard Raquel was the Yeah, first Raquel star. had a good yeah. night yeah. as well last night. But like yeah, yeah. Uh, Riley Smith, um, the guys that you would expect to maybe show up come crunch time, like Jeff Carter is now very old. Anyway, I don't want to spend too much time talking about the Pittsburgh Penguins, but we do need to talk about the Vancouver Canucks. It was a JT Miller show last night. Uh, that also kind of put on display all the other guys who weren't that great. Here's the head coach, Rick Tockett, talking about how sloppy and disjointed things were of the guys not named JT Miller last night. Not very impressed with the performance. 4-3 loss for the Canucks in overtime to the Penguins. Here's the head coach, Rick Tockett, on how sloppy it was from his charges. Well, I just thought there was some sloppy stuff, you know, um, detailed stuff. There was, you know, some guys looked tired out there. To be honest with you, but it was, uh, you know, even when we're up three to two on that, you know, we give them that goal, bad coverage, you know. Um, yeah, I, I didn't think a lot of guys, there's a lot of average guys out there. You know, Millsy drove to play again today. I thought Millsy was great, you know, very, very good today. So a lot of average guys out there. We may as well turn our attention to Elias Lindholm. I, part of me hates doing this because I do still feel as though there's a feeling out, figuring out process at play at the same time. No, he was, it's he was, the National Hockey League. He was invisible. last. That, that well, line. not quite, because they were actually exposed for how badly they got caved in. So not necessarily invisible. Yeah, he wasn't invisible <laughs> on natural statrics. Uh, <laughs> he was very egregiously bad. Yeah. Um, I just, I, he was very, very, very quiet. Here's, here's how it went in terms of centers. Like, there was uh, J.T. Miller, who was incredible, Elias Pettersson, who was fine at times, but definitely not good enough to say, like, I'm a $12 million player, right? Definitely not good enough. And you heard Talkett talk about the coverage on the the tying goal 
to make it 3-3, the 3-2 tying goal. That was Petey out there, and I don't really know what he was doing. Just go watch the replay, and you tell me what Petey was doing. He was standing around in the left corner. I'm like, no one's there. Um, so that was a coverage issue for sure, and uh, like I don't think Hoaglander looked very good on that. Um, but Petey also had his moments, right? He he did have his moments. He has some scoring chances. He, he, early on in the game, he looked good. Late in the game, he did not look good. Lindholm was invisible all night. And this is after a game that I thought he played really well with Garland and Baines in the Bruins game. I thought he was excellent. And he had me thinking, oh, man, you know, like what about a line once Joshua is back of Lindholm, Joshua, and Garland? Like if Lindholm plays like that, the way he played against the Boston Bruins, that could be, that line could be a force in the playoffs. And to have that as your, Third line, although it might be the second line if the PD line doesn't find anything. Like, just to have that as a line, mm-hmm. you know, I th- I think could be, like, a very, very good um, playoff line. And now, <laughs> after that performance, I'm kind of like, like, that should have been one of their advantages against the Penguins, having right. a line like that. And now you're going to play an L.A. team which we all know they've got those three centers, although I don't even know if we count Dubois. <laughs> like, I mean, he plays center. Uh, yeah, if he plays He's center. He's on the roster. Like, yeah, like technically it should be like Kopitar, Deneau, and Dubois, and you should be like, whoa, that's really impressive. But I don't I don't know where Dubois' game is. I'm sure we can talk about well, that Yeah, they, they got whittled away by injuries too. Yeah, at any rate, um, the Lindholm line didn't do well enough, and – and there haven't been many games, especially lately, that we've been like, oh, Connor Garland wasn't very good. Uh, and, but Connor Garland wasn't very good last night. Okay, here's my thought. He tried hard. He just wasn't very effective. My thought is that once Joshua's back, you just you automatically play Garland, Bluger, Joshua. Just it made it makes no sense to go away from it. The third line. Well, what you could end up doing is keeping them together. And then having Lindholm have his own line still, but you've got to essentially play him with, now you're talking, well, is it Baines is going to be his winger? And then Sap brought up a really interesting point during the intermission yesterday. It almost feels like if they want to have Lindholm play center, which I think they do, because Tockett said on a number of occasions now, like, this guy's a center. Yeah, I think he's a center. He's not a winger. I think you need to find him another winger. I think they might be light on wingers, which is crazy to say because they've got a collection of them. But I don't know if they have the right wingers. They need Beauvillier Beauvillier back. Maybe not that. They never should have traded (laughs) him. That was the hugest mistake of the season. Nobody talks about it. Nobody talks about it. We had Beauvillier. (laughs) Now we don't. No, I I do wonder if that's the play. Nobody talks about it. I was picking that up. Nobody talks about it. A little bit of Trump there. It needs to start in the back of your throat. That's what I figured out. Beauvillier. See? I think that that might be the play. Part of what's going on right now with the sort of disjointed, not complete efforts, I think, is because there's a lot of line blendering going on. Well, there's power play blendering going on. Which is fine. They are in such an advantageous position standings-wise mm-hmm. that you know you can play with your food a little bit and you can try some things. Why not? I mean, here's the thing. For as very average, and some would say subpar as the Canucks have been post-All-Star break, They've still collected 12 points from 12 games, and they've still got a very healthy lead atop the Pacific Division, which is really the important thing here. And they are going to get 
Dakota Joshua back, which is funny, as I said, is like the salvation or the light at the end of the tunnel. But he was so that line. I don't think we really understand just how good it was until it's gone. Like we looked at that line and said, it could be the first line. It could be the second line. Mm -hmm. They put up 60 points over a 20 game stretch collectively. And now that it's gone, you don't have that sort of security blanket where you can throw it over the boards and say, go get us something. I actually think we do have, we did have a great appreciation for that line. And you and I, well, a lot of people did. I think, you know, people were trying to come up with names for the line, but they were just, you know, you put, you put it well, they were the security blanket that you could put out there when the game was turning. You're like, you know, those guys are going to turn it back in your favor. Um, This isn't really what we learned. It's unsigned. JT Miller has been in on 70% of the Canucks goals over the last five, uh, five games. Also the fourth line was the best line last night. The fourth line played well. And if you look at their underlying numbers, they were dominant, but they weren't the best line because of the Bluger mistake. Like the, 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 that was Miller Besser Suter was good. Like they, I know, I think it was either Shorty or Ray or both of them at the same time made note of the fact of how good they were getting in on the forecheck throughout the night. No, no, no Miller but, on his own was good. But t- I'm talking about the fourth line here. I know, I'm but, I'm, about but fourth, I'm saying like, I think that was the best line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, not it, the fourth. I line. just don't <laughs> think you can you can call the fourth line. They they didn't. They're fine. They no no no. They were good, but what I'm saying is they made. Bluger uh, made the maybe the biggest mistake of the night. Mm-hmm. You know, putting that puck out into the middle of the ice when the Canucks had a two nothing lead, and if they had gotten the next goal, that game was over. And instead, you th- you, you threw the Penguins a lifeline. Mm-hmm. You threw them a lifeline, and then the Canucks got into penalty trouble, and it was tied. Right now, mm-hmm. JT Miller quickly broke that tie. Um, but that goal, and, and it, listen, I'm not going to sit here and rip Bluger. He's been very good for the Canucks this year. Way better than I expected. He's been part of that. It, it was actually, I, I watched this so many times because Bluger's been so so dependable. I was like, what? Bluger did that? My Teddy Bluger? Like, he's so dependable. What was he, th- what was he thinking on that? I, it wasn't, like, Lafferty dropped it back to him on the wall. Say. And, you know, I know he's trying to make a play. Maybe he thought a Canucks defenseman was coming through to support the puck, but I, I, I still don't understand why he just threw it out into the middle of the ice. And so you cannot call that line the best line when you make a major, major mistake like that is my only point. And the fourth line, you can't be doing stuff like that. Right. That's all. Uh, okay, so uh, other scores from last night really quick as they pertain to the Vancouver Canucks. The next team that the Canucks will face is Thursday night at Rogers Arena. It's the Los Angeles Kings. The Kings are a slumping. They lost their third in their last four last night, a 4-2 defeat in Calgary. So they go in to Edmonton and Calgary. They run through Alberta. They get nothing out of it. They get a night off, a day off today. Then they'll play in Vancouver on Thursday. The Kings are in not a great spot right now. Uh, they're not winning games. Camp Talbot was not good last night. They lost Victor Arvidsson. He's on LTIR. They lost Adrian Kempe to injury as well. And there's reports coming out of Los Angeles that he might be going on LTIR. Now Rob Blake is working the phones to try and find a last minute right before the deadline's fix to solve that. Because that's a huge offensive weapon for them. So they're going to get, the Canucks that is, they're going to get an LA Kings team on Thursday that's not winning a lot of hockey games right now that is now tied with Nashville on 68 points. So I know that Nashville doesn't have the games in hand. The Kings do. But mm-hmm. when you look at that wild card chase right now, 
The Kings are not safe. I know that they will probably make the playoffs statistically, <laughs> but the Kings are not playing well right now, and they haven't played well for the better part of two months. They've been very erratic. And, and the, right now, they're the Calgary, that game last night, Calgary drew within five points of the Kings in the standings. Well, the Canucks could do some damage to the Kings because the damage. Canucks have, is it four games left against them in the season? They got, yeah, they've got, so they play them Thursday night and then they play them again. You're going to see on so March much 5th, LA King over the next three weeks. And then again on March uh, 25th and then one more time on April 6th. So four games against the LA Kings. You know how the Canucks like totally threw the beginning of the Edmonton Oilers season off? Mm-hmm. They could totally throw the end of the LA Kings season off. Which would be amazing. Uh, the other team in the Pacific Division that we've been keeping an eye on, the Vegas Golden Knights, of course. And of course... The Toronto Maple Leafs could not do us a favor. Uh, they were unable to keep their seven-game win streak going. They lost last night to Vegas 6-2 in Toronto. Interesting notes there. Not only that the Leafs' seven-game winning streak was snapped, but uh, Sheldon Keefe got tossed at the end of this one. He got a game misconduct for arguing with Garrett Rank, head, head referee Garrett Rank. He said, you're not going to like this, Sheldon. You're out of here. And that was it. So he's he's been – I forgot. He got fined not too long ago, $25,000 for abusing officials, and then he got tossed last night. So we can ask Jeff Merrick about that because, you know, here in Vancouver, we've got a cool, calm, composed head coach in Rick Tockett who won't take the referees to task. And then they've got that loose cannon over in Toronto who's yelling and screaming again, tossed out of games. I did mention, of course, Jeff Merrick is going to join us next on the Halford & Bruff Show. On Sportsnet 650. Uh, we didn't get a chance to get into the Winnipeg story. We're going to do that at 7.30 with Mike McIntyre. We are also giving away a $100 gift card to Bridge Brewing, the brewers of primetime beer. If you want to go and check them out, all you got to do is send in a what we learned. Hashtag it WWL. Put a beer emoji. As Laddie pointed out, there's two different beer emojis. We don't care which one. Put it in Dunbar Lumber text line is 650-650. Tell us what you learned over the last 24 hours in sports, and you could win a $100 gift card to Bridge Brewing. You are listening to the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Everything Canucks before and after the games. Canucks Central with Dan Riccio and Satyar Shah. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. On a Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff in the morning is brought to you by the Delari family of Accurate Dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Accurate Dealer. Today, we are in hour one of the program. Jeff Merrick is going to join us in just a moment here, the highlight of hour one. Hour one is brought to you by North Star Metal Recycling. Vancouver's premier metal recycler pays the highest prices on scrap metal. North Star Metal Recycling, they recycle, you get paid. Visit them at 1170 Powell Street in Vancouver. Our next guest is the host of the Jeff Merrick Show, the host of the 32 Thoughts podcast, the author of the Rink Fries article that you can see, the column, sorry, on sportsnet.ca. It's Jeff Merrick here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. What up, Jeff? How are you? That's what I wanted to call my radio show, but they wouldn't want me. Rink they Fries? They to do it. Yeah, I, like I, it. I was like, when they, first, when they first came to me with the idea, I'm like, great, let's call it Rink Fries. I'm like, no, we're calling it the Jeff Merrick Show. Which I think is a little bit of navel gazing or mirror watching, but uh, nonetheless, 
it endures. I'm just glad that I found a place for, for ring fries. So um, do you and Freed just kind of sit back and laugh and do the evil like tapping of your fingers together every time that he unleashes an Elias Pedersen update? <laughs> you know, it's, it's funny, too, because we always get we always get a text in our group chat, me, Elliot and Dom Shramati, where Dom, Dom will always say something along the lines of, Elliot, why did you choose violence today? <laughs> That's kind of always the way that it goes. So uh, a long winded way of saying, yes, it's, uh, I guess, predictable and I guess in some ways mildly amusing. Um, what do you think of the fact that the Canucks just can't seem to get PDA to the table and apparently are growing a, a little bit frustrated about that? Yeah, I, 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 I understand the frustration. I understand the frustration from, from everybody. I, I would have thought, like, I never would have thought that we'd be sitting here, like, put it this way. I understood, you know, that famous afternoon on the boat in Stockholm. When, uh, when, when Elias Pettersson, you know, talked about, you know, needing some time and think about, you know, what he wants for the future and the Vancouver Canucks. And uh, I understood the idea that he wanted to have a wait and see approach for, you know, how Vancouver was going to be this year, commitment to winning, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, the Vancouver Canucks, you know, notwithstanding this little sort of speed wobble they're going through right now, have kind of jumped over every hurdle here. So I'm not exactly entirely sure what the holdup is. I mean, sometimes, you know, there are, as you guys well know, there are players that don't want to deal with the contract at all during the season. Business is for afterwards. The hockey season is for, for playing and focus. I, I get all that, but I never would have thought that given the season that Vancouver has had, given the season that Elias Pettersson has had, um, that we'd be sitting here saying, uh, how come there's not a contract extension done here for Elias Pettersson. Now, this isn't complete dire straits. I mean, as you guys, you know, well know, and all your listeners know as well, he's a restricted free agent. He's not a unrestricted free agent. He's not close to walking away. But as we've seen, you know, even restricted free agents do wield uh, a lot of power here. So I, I've gone from mildly surprised, and now I'm sort of moving towards, you know, really surprised that something hasn't been able to, to get done here. Because listen, I think we all understand that this is going to be a whopper of a contract and it's just sitting there and all that Elias Pedersen has to do is pull out his car keys and, uh, and turn them and, you know, and, and turn the ignition on. That's all that he needs to do. Not exactly sure what the holdup is. Uh, Elias Pedersen's head coach, Rick Tockett, we were discussing uh, yesterday Following the Boston game, Tockett praised his team's composure, and he dropped the line specifically about uh, not getting on the referees and not being shook up by a bad call or being discombobulated by a, a questionable yep. decision by the Zebras. I bring this up because Sheldon Keefe got tossed last night in Toronto's 6-2 loss to the Vegas Golden Knights, and this, like, this isn't the first time that he's gone after referees. I don't want to say that he's made it a habit, but I was listening to yeah. uh, J.D. Bunkus and Sam McKee in the postgame show and they were even saying like he's got a bit of Nick Nurse in him right now or a lot of Nick Nurse in him where he's not afraid about going after officials and going after them in a very demonstrative way what do you make of the way that he deals with the zebras I think that uh, I mean listen this goes back to this doesn't even go back to junior hockey with Sue Marie this goes back to the Pembroke Lumber Kings really uh, in, in a lot of ways like you know Sheldon Sheldon Keefe is an emotional coach he was an emotional player um, I don't think he's very good at, at hiding it at all. That's the, the, the kind of coach that he is. It's the kind of 
person he is. He leads with his heart. So not exactly a surprise that we see this. But this season specifically, um, it seems as if, you know, Keith has gone out of his way to publicly defend his team. And even though he did it in a much more subdued way, I mean, when he came out after Morgan Riley, you know, on the, uh, the infamous cross check now, yeah, yeah. when he came out and said that the response was appropriate, like that is a very public demonstration of support for his player and for that team. Like, I, I don't know what it is about this season specifically with, with Sheldon Keith, but he seems, you know, more, more hell bent on the public displays that he has this team's back uh, and this is a team that just had you know a, a wonderful winning streak that came to the end yesterday against Vegas in spectacular fashion um, and I think that he understands that you know given where the Maple Leafs have placed themselves and how they have played that you know the heat's probably on Bradtree living to, to do something as the team earns some trades probably and now the expectation has been raised that much more so maybe that is a a reflection of that all I know is one of my little sort of nickel and dime observations is at every turn, Sheldon Keefe has tried to demonstrate this season, more so than previous seasons, that he has all these guys' backs. And whether it was a, you know, I think that was on the, the, the Marner-Chandler-Stevenson uh, uh, call yesterday, the trip. Yeah. You know, he wanted to make sure that, that his point was made right in front of all the boys. Because when we talk about Rick Tockett's response, I joke often. It's like he has the exact, he says the exact same thing anytime the question or conversation of officiating comes up. His response is, those guys have a real tough job. We have the best officials in the world. It doesn't matter if they had a great night or a horrible night. It's always the same thing. He's very, yeah. very thorough. And I'd say uh, almost purposefully going in the other direction. Like, he does not want to criticize officials at all. And I, I understand why. These guys have long mm -hmm. memories and everything. So it's funny because it's such, a, it's such a double-edged sword where you could say, well, you're sticking up for your guys when you go publicly and say the officials did a bad job and you got your guys back, but you can also run a foul of officials. And trust me here in Vancouver, we know what happens when you run a foul <laughs> of officials. Is sometimes it can come back in a very bad way. So I'm really unclear if it's a good thing or a bad thing. I think, I think that there's two things that happen here. I, I think that, you know, with, with Rick Tockett, I think there's the public Rick Tockett and there's the private Rick Tockett. And I think privately to the guys, he's like, look, I, I'm going to go out there and say these guys have a tough job and the best officials in the world. That's so things don't get worse. But I do want you to know, like pri privately, I'm sure he's saying to a lot of guys, like, yeah, that was a horse sleep call. And yeah, you didn't deserve that one. And don't worry about it. But I'm going to go out there and eat one for the team. Like that's Rick Tockett, right? But the thing is, like, honestly, sometimes, I mean, I, I love it. Because if you ask any, any, any person in hockey, whether it's a manager or a, or a coach, you know, one very simple question, and they answer you honestly, the answer is yes. And that is, would you lie to protect your team? And I think sometimes you go out there, and I think Rick Tockett, by publicly defending officials, when, you know, the, the overwhelming amount of evidence is to the contrary, I think you know what Rick Tockett is doing. That's Rick Tockett not trying to take the cheese in the trap not trying to make a bad situation worse, but saying privately to his players, yeah, we, we, all, we all know what the score was. We all, we all know what that call was all about. I'm just out there trying not to make it worse. I actually think he's trying to do something in addition to that. Like, I don't disagree that he's trying to do that. I think he's trying to prepare his team for bad calls in the playoffs. Yeah. Like, that happens. And I, and I often bring up the Craig Berube um, I can't. I still can't remember exactly what the call. It was like a hand pass that wasn't called, or it was called. I think it was 
it wasn't called and it went against the Blues during their Stanley Cup final run. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of like, it's like, and everyone wanted him to like rip the officials after the game because the Blues lost. And, and he's like, well, it, you, if you got it, the, it was the, game three of the Western Conference final, there was yeah. a hand pass that Timo Meyer did to Gustav Nyquist. They oh, missed that's it. That's right. Yes. They scored, yeah, and yeah. the the Blues actually went down two one in that series right. because of the call. Like it was a big moment. And, and Bruby's like, "Well, we can sit here and we can like cry about it, or we can be like, that's in the past now, and we better pull it together." And they pulled it together, and they went on to win the Stanley Cup. And yeah. you know, the other day, uh, talk was talking about um, the composure on the bench during the Bruins game and how they were down two nothing. And he said, "I didn't see stick slamming." Um, and I didn't see the team getting mad at the refs. And, you know, so I, I actually think there's there's more to it than just, like, playing the refs. Like, everyone's like, well, he doesn't want to rip the refs. Um, he also wants to hold his team accountable. Like, the Canucks took, you know, Tyler Myers put them two men uh, shorthanded yesterday against the Penguins with an irresponsible yeah. stick foul. And you know it was it was the Seattle game too, right? Where people were upset at the officiating. Is like, yeah, what what we have we us as a team, we've got to knock out the stu- knock off the stupid stick penalties. So I think there's a there's a few things going on there. Uh, I I agree. I just agree with him in 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 general with how he's handling it. Don't make yourself. Um, you know, a target for the referees by complaining about it, by making the referees, um, you know, think, okay, well, I'm going to get you next time because you publicly embarrassed me, but also like hold his team accountable to not take stupid penalties and also not to get um, distracted when calls do go against them. Yeah. You know who knows when they've made a bad call? Officials. Mm. And they hear about it after the game, like there are game reports um, that are filed and everything goes through Stephen Walkham and these guys know. And I think it's, it's a fool's game to try to get in, you know, to try to get in, you know, screaming matches with officials and like an official generally knows when they've made a, made a bad call. Right. And that's sometimes where like, this is the history of hockey. Okay. That's a makeup call. Okay. That's a makeup call. Okay. We know when it's coming. Like, that's just, that's just the game. I know people don't like hearing it, but that's always been the history of the game. Uh, and I think officials do appreciate it when you don't draw any more attention to the fact that they have just messed up. I'm going to give you, do I have time for a quick story? You do always have time. It's one of my favorite stories. So this is a great one. Brian Burke um, told me this one. So there was a, uh, and actually Marty McSorley told me this one too, who was, who was obviously part of this situation. So Marty McSorley, his entire career always tried to get Eric Lindros to fight him. Always. And he, no matter what he did, Eric would never take the bait. Ever, ever, ever. Marty would chase him around the ring, trying to get Eric to fight. No, 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 no. And there was one game, it was Flyers and Kings, and Lindros had just scored, and Marty took a run at him. And Eric, for whatever reason, forgot that he wasn't supposed to fight Marty McSorley because he's very tough, and he dropped the gloves and went at Marty. And he got in real tight on him, and he bit him. He bit Marty McSorley. Huh. And this was a huge deal. This was like, you know, you need to throw the book at them. No room in hockey for this. There's no place in any sport for biting. This is barbaric, etc. So Brian Burke, who at that point was the head of what we know now as the Department of Player Safety, called Marty and said, Marty, we're ready to throw something really significant here 
at, uh, at Eric. All I need you to do is confirm that he bit you. And Marty said, ah, I don't know, Burke. Yeah, you know, things happen in a fight. Things happen in the game. I'm, I'm not really sure, to be honest with you. He said, Marty, I need you to tell me, did he bite you or not? Ah, geez, Berkey, I'm not sure. You know, I, I don't even know. I don't know where those you know, scratches or bite marks on my neck came from. Who knows? Marty, and last time I'm going to ask you, did Eric Lindros bite you or not? And Brian tells me there was a long pause, and you could hear Marty Take a deep breath, and he said, Brian, Eric Lindros did not bite me. Hmm. Now you call Bobby Clark and tell him he owes me one. <laughs> the league so, operated differently back little then. Different, man. <laughs> a little differently. <laughs> it was a very different time. <laughs> I can't imagine that happening now where everybody tries to draw penalties. And suspensions, but it just—I I just trying to underscore the point here that officials know when they messed up, just like players have known when they messed up, and they really do appreciate it when you either don't call attention to it because, listen, in the in the sort of the the the, the cosmos of hockey, everything we strongly suspect balances itself out. You know, Vancouver gets a bad call, and in another play, you know, the officials look the other way, and woof, we got away with that one there, and then everyone quickly forgets about it. I always think that it's a fool's game to try to, you know, go after officials on a consistent basis. Just as I think it's a fool's game and a really distracting game if you're a, if you're a coach and you're on the officials way too much because your players read that, and what mm-hmm. it does is it gives them a trap door. It gives them an excuse. It gives them an easy way off the stage when things get really tough, as opposed to just biting down on your, on your mouth guard and playing through it. Uh, Jeff, I'm, I'm very glad that you're on the show today because we oh. need to talk about Matt Rempe because you're, <laughs> you're a throwback guy. Um, yeah. You remember back in the day, um, yes. young guys would come into the league and they'd be like, I'm going to try and make my mark. The first yeah. one I think I ever remember as a kid was Troy Crowder with yep. the New Jersey Devils who yep. came up and fought Bob Probert a bunch of times and Troy Crowder was terrifying. He was like he was he was he was a I mean he you know he event ended up actually his last NHL team was with the Vancouver Canucks in in, in the late 90s. Um things are obviously very different now but it is interesting I think that when was the last time we asked the question, like, do you think they're going to have a rematch? Because the Blue Jackets and the Rangers play again tonight, and everyone's yeah. kind of wondering, is Rempe and Olivier, are they going to go again? Rempe can't open his left eye. Yeah, yeah. so probably then, not, right? Hopefully like, not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, we, hopefully we, not. We, like, he's even going to be in the lineup. I don't know. We, we may see the first, the first player wear a patch under his visor. Yeah, that'd be a cool fight look, though. Like, the pirate versus Matthew Olivier. We're fighting. (laughs) We're fighting. We do let Don. We do let Don. Yeah, it's been a long. This this used to be like you're right. Like this used to be a lot more commonplace when a young kid would come up and try to. I'm going to earn my reputation, and he'd have to do the gauntlet, right? He'd have to go through everybody. He'd have to go through. You know, McSorley and Craig Cox and Bashir and Twist and Chase and, you know, Koser and like everybody, 
you know, every other farm animal that's uh, Frankie Bialoa, it's like that, that teams would call up from the, uh, from the American league, just to, just the scrap. Like it used to very much be a thing in the NHL. We haven't seen this for decades. A guy that's come up and said, I'm going to fight all the tough guys. And listen, we saw this in preseason. You know, I remember watching a Rangers Islanders preseason game and Matt Rempe's up and I didn't know much about Matt Rempe at all. I mean, other than watching him in junior a little bit, um, uh, playing the Western hockey league, but all of a sudden, here's this, you know, six foot eight kid fighting Ross Johnson mm. and winning. And I was like, whoa, like, hang on a second here. This kid just handled Ross Johnson. Like, this is this is remarkable. Um, but what we've seen with Matt Rempe is a guy that's that's trying to do the gauntlet. And it started with Matt Martin. And then there was a situation, you know, after he ran over Nathan Bastion and he got punted and then he fights. Nick Delorier and nicks him up real good and and then scores the game winning goal and then the Matthew Olivier is the one that now we're all paused on and saying maybe it's time you know he's already he, it's only taken Matt Rempe seven days to get his name on everybody's lips like I was at the rink last night with my kid just for practice and the parents of the team that were coming on next after us all they were talking about is this Matt Rempe yeah. kid I'm like inside of seven days, everybody know. Like this is the old school way. This is how Ty Domi did. You mentioned Troy Crowder, and that's a great example too. Um, we haven't seen this for a long time. I really hope for Matt Rempe's safety, and just so his grandkids don't have migraines, he kind of puts his foot on the brakes here a little bit. Or Peter Laviolette says, "Okay, you're not doing it tonight." But you know, there's tonight the rematch against Columbus, and then there's. Hockey Night in Canada on Saturday against the Toronto Maple Leafs right. and Ryan Reeves. Right. So it, it's, a, it's a weird combination we're seeing now of fans really sort of enjoying this and seeing this old school throwback player tempered by, you know, making sure that this kid is, is still protected and this kid really doesn't do damage to himself because he seems game for just about everything right now with every single team that he plays. And I can't remember the last time we, we saw anything like this, by the way, can I throw in a quick fact about Troy yes. Crowder? Yes. Go. Okay. Trivia time for you guys. Name me the one player who has played on teams with all three Gretzky boys. Played on. I have, I have no idea. I'm not even going to, uh, you just you just said his name, Troy Crowder. Troy Crowder, it's one of my favorites. That is hilarious. <laughs> Troy Crowder, hockey. also He's convicted of insurance fraud. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. the other bit of. Yeah. And he ran. He, he, didn't he? He ran. Uh, I remember seeing this a few years ago. He ran uh, like it was a Ontario provincial election. I think he ran and, and lost. Yeah, he, he ran like, for mayor of Sudbury. No, 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 but he also yeah, ran Denver. for oh, yeah, uh, MLA. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyway, Troy Crowder, interesting life. Yeah. <laughs> this is why I love Did having think- Jeff on the show. Yeah. I never would have thought that we'd be going down the road to Troy Crowder's insurance fraud by the end of the call, but here we are. <laughs> this is great. Hey, Jeff, thanks we for taking it. Went, went from Rick Tockett, not badgering officials, to Troy Crowder playing with all three Gretzky boys. That's perfect. Uh, Jeff, thanks for doing this today, bud. We appreciate it. Thanks, boys. Talking seven days. Yep, sounds good. That's uh, Jeff Merrick, host of the Jeff Merrick Show and the 32 Thoughts podcast here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Uh, we'll be back on the other side. we got an open segment and then Mike McIntyre from the Winnipeg Free Press to talk about Gary Bettman's meeting and his fireside chat with Jets fans yesterday. You're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.